Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God and make him known. This is our commission. This is our command. This is our calling. This is our privilege. This is discipleship. Good evening, everyone. My name is Danny, and tonight we are in the final week of our series on discipleship, and it's been a really cool journey. Um, I don't know about for you, but for me, I've been challenged with each week um, and all the work that's went to each of these messages. And tonight we're going to be finishing out our discipleship series, hanging out in the book of John, John chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, um, a physical one, um, if you're using one of the Mosaic Beautiful Blues, we always have them in the very back. If you need a Bible, page 999. Um, otherwise, if you are using a digital version, we are reading out of the English Standard Version. Just makes it a little bit easier to kind of all gel together. Um, so this week, I was thinking about slang terms, slang terms. Um, and I was thinking about how, do you guys remember um, Back to the Future? And there's that moment when Marty McFly goes back to 1950, and he starts using all these phrases that were common vernacular, these slang terms in the 80s. And, and, and as he's talking to Dr. Brown, he's like, what are you talking? Like, it just is a total disconnect because all the words he's using is like totally the wrong phrase for what he understands. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about slang terms and how that would only continue with each decade that I've been alive thus far. So thinking about like in the 90s, um, we used phrases like rad, booyah, da bomb, cool. Do you guys remember those at all? No? Yeah? Okay, cool. All right. Early 2000s, um, this is like my jam area, probably like my jam. I don't know if that is older than that, but I definitely use that still. Uh, things, phrases like stoked. Um, I'm from California. I get away with that one. Uh, owned. Uh, that's, that's hot. Poser. Some of those ones. Uh, and then the 2010s. We get into the teen, the teenage years of the, um, the 21st century, and we get words like fire or it's, uh, it's cousin fuego, uh, flex, any of those kind of extra, right? So you see that there are all the different slang terms, though, that kind of identify and mark us by which deck we probably kind of grew up in and we were formed into. But here's what I know for sure, that unless you happen to be the creative mastermind behind any of the slang terms that you used or presently do use, you learn them from someone or somewhere. And I would imagine that you might even not remember exactly who or where you learned those phrases from. Maybe it was an older cousin, a friend group, TV shows you watched, but you were formed into some of these phrases. And that's just some of the language we use. But you see, that just brought me to the point that we are always learning. We are always growing. We are always absorbing new information, new knowledge. As we have said the last few weeks, we, have, we are always being discipled. Discipleship is learning. It is growing. It is absorbing. Now, we are all always being discipled. The question is, from who? 
From with what? From where? Now, for those of us who follow after Jesus, our lifelong journey with him is meant to be one of both a learner and as a teacher. And here's what I mean by that, that we are all called to be disciples, but we are also all called to make disciples or become disciplers ourselves. That we are formed and we are called to form others. And we've talked about this is the great commission that was in our in our intro video, that idea that we are all called to go make disciples. Now, the call to be disciples, a major part of being called to be a disciple is to make disciples, but not just to make disciples, but to make disciples who make disciples. If you follow Jesus, this is your call. And we actually see the beauty, a beautiful statement of this um, by the apostle Paul in his last letter to his disciple, a guy named Timothy. And here's how he writes it in second Timothy two. He says, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is Paul writing to his spiritual son, his disciple named Timothy. And what he is saying to him is not just go and teach others, but he's actually talking about four generations of disciples in this one verse. He's talking about him, Paul, Timothy, the one who learned all this from Paul, but that he should now entrust it to others, discipleship, who will teach it to others. Four generations of disciples. Don't just teach others, but teach others to teach others to teach others to teach others. This is the beauty of discipleship. We are called to be disciple-making disciples who make disciple-making disciples who make disciple-making disciples. And you can kind of like make that a gift and just keep going on with that into eternity. Like that is such a beautiful call that we are called to be disciples who learn from others then we pass it on to others so that they would pass it on to others. It's the beautiful multiplicative effect of discipleship. So what type of disciples are we called to be? What type of disciple are you called to be? Now, we have talked um, earlier on in the series about the idea that at, at Mosaic, the way we've kind of tried to define discipleship is a, is a lifelong journey of knowing God and making him known. Again, what the video was getting at as we embrace three important aspects of discipleship. So over the last couple of weeks, we went into the first two of those aspects. In the first week, we talked about how the human race is a forgetful people. And there are so many competing stories that we are tempted to believe. So it matters that we are being discipled into the first aspect, biblical story, so that the story of the Bible is a story that roots down deep into our hearts, that it is where we go for everything, so that we would remember who God is and what he has done. That was the first week. And then the second week, uh, Joel was up here and he talked about the concept of indoctrination, that all of us are being indoctrinated or formed into a number of different beliefs, that we are being indoctrinated into these different beliefs. So therefore, it matters that we are being discipled into doctrine, not set by our culture, not set by our preferences, but it is being discipled into us. Doctrine to know who Jesus is, what his desires for us as we find them in the scriptures. So that's the second aspect of discipleship, Christian belief. Now, those first two have one thing in common. Both of them are about what we need to know and remember. But is following Jesus 
about things to know or things to do. Now, even when we couch a question in that way, we showcase those two thoughts as competing values. Because when I ask that, you might go, no, it's about things to do. Or no, no, it for sure has to be about things to know. But the reality is, is that there are a lot of churches, teachers, et cetera, that can focus on either one of those. We're, we're a kind of people that focuses on knowing the right things. Or we're the kind of people that focus on doing the right things as if they are meant to be competing forces. Now, in my life, I've been tempted at different points in my journey with Jesus to focus more on knowing more or doing more at different points in different seasons. So I'll ask you the question right now. Are you, do you find yourself, are you tempted more towards the knowing side or the doing side? Or maybe the neither side where you're like, I don't care about either of those right now. See, it's important that we're honest with ourselves about this. These are not meant to be competing values, but supporting values of one another. That as we know God's words, his story, his desires, his commands for us, that we should seek to live them out in our daily lives. So in other words, our knowing should never outpace our doing. But then on the other hand, as we live out God's desires, his commands in our daily lives, we would be quick to realize how easy it is to rely on our own strength and do it by our own power and our own will in our own wisdom. So we need to be reminded of the beauty of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the Bible. We need to be reminded in community of what God's desires are for us, of his character, so that our knowing that our doing never outpaces our knowing. So tonight, though, we're going to be digging into the third aspect of discipleship. So three aspects, biblical story, Christian belief, and tonight, Christian practice. And each of the weeks, we've been asking the same question, why? Why does this matter? Why does this aspect of discipleship matter? So tonight, we're asking a simple question. If you're the note-taking kind of person, here's the question. Why does Christian practice matter? So tonight, we're going to be going into a passage where Jesus himself is going to guide us into the timeless beauty of Christian practice. So again, we're in John chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 1. So here we go. Here's what Jesus says. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus begins into an analogy about a vineyard. And he's going to really, really play into this analogy. And, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Um, it's, it's so beautiful and so riveting and so convicting for me and in my heart. So before we go into the specifics though, we need to clarify so far, who are the characters that we have discovered in the passage? So Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine. So Jesus is the vine. Okay. Notice what he says, though. I am the, what kind of vine? The true vine. By him saying a true vine, that means that there can also be false vines. Now, we'll, we'll pick that one back up in a little bit, but let's just have that in our mindset. So Jesus says that he is not a false vine. He is not just one of the vines. He is the true vine. So he, then he talks about his father. He says the father is the vine dresser. 
Now, a vine dresser, you can probably tell from the context what he's talking about, is a, a farmer of vineyards, right? So he is the farmer of vineyards. So the father, so Jesus, the son, is the true vine, uh, and the father is the vine dresser. So he begins this analogy by showing some of the tasks, though, that the vine dresser is responsible for. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear even more fruit. But now he is going to get to us. Verse four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here he, here he explains who, where we are in the story. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are the branches. He is the true vine. And the father is the farmer, the vine dresser, who for those who are not bearing any fruit, he prunes or he cuts away, he throws away. For those who are bearing fruit, he wants to prune us so that we'd be even more fruitful and being able to live that out. But he says a word over and over again in this that is so vitally important that we understand. It is the word abide. Abide over and over and over again. We're going to see that word used. Abide means to stay connected to. It means to draw near to something, to stay connected to something. So in this analogy, Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches that are holding on to the vine. If we are not connected to the vine, that is not going to allow us to be very fruitful, right? None of you have probably ever been in um, maybe a vineyard or uh, and, and an orchard and then looked down and there was a branch right there and it was just dead on the ground and all of a sudden, boop, it just like magically appeared a piece of fruit on it, right? Like probably none of us have ever had that experience. Okay, good. Like this is not the way, that's the way the world works. For a branch to grow fruit, it needs to be receiving life, nutrients, vitamins, right? It makes sense that why we have never seen uh, just like matter of fact, combusting fruit popping off of dead branches because it doesn't work that way. But it is not the, so it's not the will of the branch that bears the fruit. It's the connection to the vine that bears the fruit. It's where it receives life, nutrients, water, vitamins, that's through the abiding connection to the vine. So Jesus is making the point that there's an inseparable relationship between abiding and the bearing of fruit. Now, for many of you, you either have heard me talk about this before, or you've heard somebody else on a stage at some point talk about this before, or you just write it in the book of John for yourself. So like, this is like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this one before, right? But can I ask you a question? Do you really believe Jesus on this one? Do you really believe Jesus? Does your life showcase a belief in the primacy of belief in abiding? Or does it showcase your own work ethic? Does it showcase your own morality? Does it showcase your own goodness and rightness? What do you believe? Your life shows about what you believe populates fruit. I am going to be better next time. I'm going to work harder this time. I'm going to do more. That is not abiding language. 
That is the language that speaks of a branch that is able to populate fruit on its own. Now there's a Greek word that's used here. It's the word that's used, it's the word used for um, verse five. He it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, that word is O Odin. So I'm gonna ask you guys to, to repeat this one with me. Say O, o. Odin. Odin. Y'all, that's Greek. All right. You want to know the best translation for this word? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zero, not at nil. Nothing. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or as my son, Asher, who's three, would say, nothing. Like, like this is nothing. And I'm afraid that I don't truly believe this most of the time. I intellectually take Jesus at his word. But then I look at my own life and honestly, I'm just gonna be real with you guys. I have been um, over the last two and a half weeks on borderline on insomnia um, because of just in deep anxiety that I've been struggling with. It's made it so difficult for me to fall asleep at all um, most nights. And I have been tossing and turning, trying to fix everything, worrying about everything Worrying about things that are in my control, worrying about things that I have zero control over, worrying about the, the state of the church around the globe, what's happening in Afghanistan, the state of the church in America and what we, what we are dealing with inside with disunity, what's happening within this body and the struggles that are happening at Disney World. Thinking about the friendships, the family relationships, everything, the things that are happening in my own heart. And I just am riddled with anxiety. And what I know for myself is that I am doing that because I don't truly believe that God's got it by himself. I'm only speaking for me, not for you. But for me, what, I, what that is showing me, what I have seen time and time again, is I get into that mindset, I get into that headspace when I am so dead set certain that God needs me, not me needs God. And that's where I've been living. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do I truly believe that? Do you truly believe that? Do we truly believe that? That it's not about working harder. It's not about doing better. It's not about doing more. It is about abiding in the vine, the true vine. Now, there's something else I want to make super duper clear about this. Abiding is the opposite of self-help. Abiding is the opposite of self-help. Self-help is the, is the focus on my hard work, me being the hero, me being the vine that produces the fruit. But Jesus is the true vine. It's not about self-help. It is about Christ's help. It's about saying so drawn in near to him, abiding in him. But Jesus is the true vine. And when we try to bear fruit on our own terms, we have made ourselves to be the false vines. When we try to make bear fruit abiding in the wisdom of humanity, we have attached ourselves to a false vine. Our fruit is never meant to showcase how awesome we are, how good we are, how, how much we have it put together. That's not the litmus. It's meant to reveal how awesome the Father is. In fact, verse eight, here's how Jesus put it. 
By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We glorify the father as we bear fruit. So it's not that bearing fruit is irrelevant, but the bearing of the fruit is only in connection to the abiding in the true vine. We showcase our discipleship according to Jesus as we bear fruit. We bear fruit, but our focus is not on the production of fruit, but on the abiding in the true vine. We're focused on the wrong end of us being the branch. We're focused in on the one that's out that produces the fruit, not on the one that's in that is attached to the true vine. We bear fruit, but it's not on us. It's on Jesus. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. So Jesus is going to anchor this entire analogy in his love for us. Just as the father has loved him, he says, he loves us. Think about that. The way God loves himself, the way the father loves the son is the way that the son loves us. It's as if there is this covering that happens because of our connection to him and that we would, why would we choose to abide in any other vine than the true vine that is abiding in love? But so easily we want to, we want to cut ourselves off and attach ourselves to another vine because it's easier. We have a little bit more control in those spaces. That's me. But how? How do we abide in his love? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So now here's the, here's the squeamish part, right? Uh, commandments. It's like, oh, okay. So it was all about abiding before, but now I need to do all the right stuff, right? But see, as we keep his commandments, we live in this connection with Christ, just as Jesus set the ultimate example by his willingness to keep the commandments of his own father. Know this, this is not obedience for love. This is faithfulness for intimacy. This isn't, this isn't like me trying to earn my wife Allie's love and affection. But if I were, if I were unfaithful to her, committing adultery every other night of the week against her, she's still my wife. But it's definitely not going good. I'm cutting off intimacy. So we are called to keep his commandments, but not so that he might love us, but because he loves us, we want to stay in intimacy with him. We want to stay connected to the true vine because that's where the goods are at. That's where the good stuff comes from. And just so that we have it crystal clear about Jesus' heart motives and all of this, that we don't feel like he just pulled a bait and switch on us, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Guys, that's what he wants for us. That's what he, that's what Jesus, our big brother in the family of God wants for us. He wants his little, his little brothers, his little sisters to be so enamored, so filled with joy because we're abiding because we're connected. 
Jesus' heart for you is one of intimate connection, rooted in joy, overflowing in fruit that falls in line with his commands. And it's not about you and it's not because of you. And isn't that just, like, if that makes sense, right? Do you guys see where this comes from? It comes from the gospel. Because the gospel is the story of you not getting it all together. But Jesus coming after you all the same. That although we are human, although we are broken, although we are fallen, he pursued us. God pursues us in relationship and sent his own son, Jesus, to die on your behalf and mine. Why? Not so that we could figure it out, not so that we could prove something to him, but so that we would receive what he has for us, which is an invitation into his forever kingdom and his forever family. It is an adoption unlike any other. It is beauty unearthed. And when Jesus died on the cross, bearing our sin, he wasn't up there going, now they better get their acts together tomorrow. What he was doing was he was pursuing us. He was bringing us back to life. He was thinking of you and me and he was bearing our sin, our brokenness on himself. I've heard it said by somebody much wiser, much deader than me, um, that the only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin that's in need of forgiveness for it. So it makes sense why if we're to bear fruit that it's not coming because you and I are so awesome. Because we're not. And that's okay. Because Jesus is and we're connected to him. And then we get to see what happens, which is a life of joy, a life of fruit, a life that is unknown to us on our own acts. So abiding and fruit. Now, throughout the centuries, there have been Christian practices that have been identified throughout the pages of scriptures that are methods by which we can abide in Jesus. So now we're going to get to the practical. Well, how do we abide with Jesus? Sometimes they're known as spiritual disciplines. We call them around here spiritual rhythms because they are rhythms that we place into our daily rhythm of life that help us to focus on abiding with Jesus through the beauty and the brokenness of our everyday realities. These rhythms are, not, are meant to be uh, are a means to an end, not the goal themselves. They have no power in themselves. In fact, you, you can do them with all the wrong heart motivation, which I've done plenty of times, as a checklist item, and you are not abiding. They are there to help us abide, but the fuel that propels us forward on our lifelong journey with Jesus is actually abiding with him. And these rhythms are immensely helpful toward that end. Now, if you've been around here for long, you're already familiar with um, probably a lot of these. And I'm not going to go into a complete list of these. We have other discipleship spaces that will go into these more, much more deeper in the years ahead. And the, now these rhythms can be individual rhythms. They could be corporate or communal rhythms, rhythms we do together. Or they can be sometimes both. Now, individual rhythms, um, here are a few examples. Things like scripture intake. Now, here's what I mean by scripture intake. That, there's a few rhythms that kind of fall under that category. Um, these are things like hearing the scriptures, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, and obeying the scriptures. Those are all different rhythms that you can put into your life so that you can have an, a daily intake of scripture. 
that you would allow the Bible to truly be daily bread for you, that you would consume it and it would become a part of your daily life and you would be formed as you are taking in scripture. And then another one that you're already aware of probably is prayer. Now, prayer can take a number of different forms. A few of the main types of prayer, though, that we see in the scriptures are prayers of thanksgiving, gratitude. God, thank you so much for what you have done and what you are doing. I often don't take enough time to be thankful for all the incredible things that God has given me. Repentance and confession. When we come to God and say, God, I need you in this space. I recognize my brokenness. Will you forgive me and help me? I am at the end of myself. Examination. Examination is when we go, God, I don't even know what's going on in me. Can you bring it to light through the power of your Holy Spirit what's going on in here? Because I'm all messed up right now. Now, those are just three different types of prayer. There's a lot of other good ones as well. Other individual rhythms, silence and solitude. We had that last week with our night of abiding where we encourage our community to just take a night, take like two to three hours and just go sit in silence before the Father. Sabbath rest is another good individual, sometimes corporate um, rhythm as well. When you just take a 24-hour block to remind yourself that God doesn't need you. That's a hard one for me. To truly believe that and live in that, to rest in Sabbath rest. But it's an important one. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments. So corporate rhythms prioritizing the gathering. That's what you guys are doing when you're here. We are engaging in a spiritual rhythm together when we come together to sit under the teaching of the scriptures, to worship together, to fellowship and hang out with one another. See how last week was going, pray with one another. We are prioritizing the gathering. Um, Ordinances. We have two ordinances that we discover in um, that Jesus talked about, which are communion and baptism. Communion, when we take communion, it is not just about what we are doing with one another when we take communion. It's not just about what we do with God. It is about both. We are communing with one another and with God, as well as baptism. Baptism is a big deal to Jesus. In fact, it's part of the Great Commission to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? So like, this is a big deal. But when we are being baptized, it is when somebody who has come to faith in Christ says, I recognize that I have now surrendered my life fully to Jesus. And it is a commissioning into the family of God, taking on the mission and the identity of what that means. So that's That is a very important one. And when we do that, that's not something that you just do at night when you're in your bathtub that you just baptize yourself or when you go to a jacuzzi with a friend. Like It is something that you do in front of biblical community that in that space, we are reminding one another of the beauty of the gospel, that we were dead and have been brought to life, that we were far and now we've been drawn near, that we were not disciples and now we've been made into disciples. So baptism is a big deal. Which, by the way, quick plug, um, at beat, uh, every year, whenever we make our annual pilgrimage to Cocoa Beach, uh, we will do baptisms for anyone that um, desires to be baptized. We will have a conversation, and we'd love to baptize you in, um, in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and it's a, it's a highlight for all of us of that beach trip. And just so happens at the end of this month is Beach Day. Um, you can still sign up. You'll hear about the announcements at the end of the gathering. Um, but at Beach Day, if you would like to be baptized, um, maybe uh, you have not been baptized since coming to faith in Christ, we would love to engage and be reminded of the gospel together through that baptism. So baptism is an important ordinance as well. Spiritual friendship. 
we can all be good friends and other people who do not believe or follow Jesus can be good friends. But there is a special type of friendship that happens with other believers. It's spiritual friendship. For sure, we're going to talk about, if you're talking with me, you're going to talk about the Olympics probably. You're going to talk about Disney and talk about Marvel movies and college football. Like for sure, you'll probably end up in a conversation with me about that. But if that, but because we are all a part of the family of God, we're going to talk about other things as well. We're going to talk about what God is doing in my heart and in your heart what he is challenging us into. So spiritual friendship is a spiritual rhythm. Grieving and celebration in community. Now these are big ones because sometimes it can feel like we check our emotions at the door. Like we want to chuck those right out the window when we're the church. No, no. We are called to grieve with those who grieve, to mourn with those who mourn, to celebrate with those who celebrate. So we enter into the brokenness, the messiness and the grittiness of life with one another. And that is praiseworthy that we have the freedom to do that. And we can celebrate. We can celebrate somebody else's promotion when we didn't get ours. That's pretty cool, right? It it images the gospel. Discipleship. Discipleship is a spiritual rhythm because we are being made into the image of God, into the image of Christ through discipleship. But we are also called to make disciples. So it is a communal rhythm that we engage in. Serving giving in generosity. These are disciplines that we engage in in community. You can't live these out on your own. You just can't. Now, those are individual rhythms, corporate rhythms. Now, there is no exhaustive list of spiritual rhythms in the Bible. You're not gonna find it in Galatians or Lamentations, right? So we can clear, So instead, though, we can clarify spiritual rhythms in one of three categories. There are spiritual rhythms that are very clearly and explicitly stated in scripture. There are other rhythms that might not be clearly articulated in scripture, but they might be spiritual practices that are generally helpful for you. Um, One that I can think of is journaling. Journaling wasn't around um, back in the days of the scriptures being written. So you're not going to find that anywhere in here um, explicitly. But journaling can be a helpful prayer practice and other things like journal, go for it. Um, And then there can be unhelpful rhythms as well, though. Now, sometimes there are rhythms that use the language of spirituality, but are not focused on drawing you near to Jesus. And we would put that in the category of unhelpful. Sometimes they're sinful. Sometimes they're not not inherently sinful. They're just unhelpful. Now, for us as a church, we're going to stick and teach on the foundational spiritual rhythms that are found in the scriptures, that first category, the ones that are clearly articulated in scripture. It's not because there's nothing else that can be helpful that are not those. It's just because the, and there's more than enough that are just explicitly stated in the scripture. So we're going to teach on those ones and practice those ones. And if there's other helpful ones, for sure, that's great. Now, as far as how do you discern, though, what is helpful, what is unhelpful, and And how do you discern the two? This is why it's so beautiful that we are a part of a biblical community together that you can get with me or one of our other elders or with a a discipleship group or in any of these spaces and pockets of this community and say, hey, I've been I've been hearing about this thing. Have you heard anything? Can you research it with me? Can we like go into that? And you actually discern in community what is helpful or unhelpful. It's a pretty good place to start. What is ultimately in line with the scriptures and is going to lead you near to Jesus? Now as a church, our desire has to be growing as deep disciples with, who dive deeper and deeper into spiritual rhythms that help us abide with Jesus, not just help us feel like we're better Christians, not make us feel like we have a bigger checklist. Because y'all, I'm, I'm assuming none of us need a bigger to-do list right now, Right? 
but we can engage in these things so that we can abide with Jesus. Now, what about fruit? You see, the fruit of abiding with Jesus is found across the pages of scripture. It's less meant to be about what we do though, although there are definitely command elements to these things, but it's more about who we are being formed into becoming. And this is what we we just articulate as gospel outworkings. Now, all of them are rooted in what Jesus has defined as the greatest commandment of all when he said, it is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So every piece of fruit that stems from abiding with Jesus is meant to be a contextualized application of loving God and loving people, every one of them. For example, disciple-making. Disciple-making is for sure a gospel. It's not only spiritual rhythm, but it's also a gospel outworking that we make disciples as we abide in Jesus. And as we make disciples, we are demonstrating love for God and love for people. Another great example is Micah Micah 6, 8. Um, It says, what does the Lord require of you but to love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with God? And this is what God desires for his people. Why? Because as we love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with God, we are demonstrating love for God and love for people. You guys seen how this works out? What about on a personal heart transforming level? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Like those ones? This is the inward fruit that works its way in outward expressions as we engage in life with other people. As we are abiding with Jesus. And when we are doing that, we are demonstrating love for God and love for people. There's a ton of those ones as well. Spiritual rhythms, gospel outworkings, abiding fruit. These are complementary pieces that comprise what we mean when we talk about Christian practice. So why does it matter to grow in Christian practice? Back to our first question for the night. Because we are called to abide and because apart from him, we can do nothing. See, this is the lifelong journey that you have signed up for if you follow Jesus, that you would be constantly challenged to grow in these spaces, discovering new approaches to spiritual rhythms, being convicted by the Spirit of God into new gospel outworkings of loving God and loving people. You will never outgrow the journey of being a student of Jesus. In fact, if you have ever thought or ever think that you have graduated from Jesus' discipleship school, Y'all are arrogant, prideful, repent of that because you got a lesson from Jesus coming up tomorrow. All right. You will never outgrow being a student, but also you might feel like, okay, I'm comfortable with the student piece, but I could never make disciples. Like you don't know my past. You don't know how broken I am. You don't know what I've done. I just don't know a lot. Who would care what I have to think or what I've learned? Jesus said, you're a disciple maker. It's not about what I think. It's about what Jesus said. If you follow Jesus, you are called to make disciples. So you will, you will never be worthy to make disciples. Let's make that clear. None of us are. I'm not worthy to preach. 
I'm not worthy to make disciples. I'm not worthy to do anything that God has allowed me to do. But it's not about our worthiness. It's about Christ's worthiness. And he has placed that worthiness on us. So it's not us about having it all together, being good enough. It is about what he has done and who he has now called us to become. We are called to be disciple-making disciples. So be a disciple, make disciples. We are called to both. Okay, there we go. All right. Now, this reminds me of two different people that I recently heard about who can help you out with a vacation. A tour guide and a travel agent. Now, travel agents are wonderful because they sit at home or in an office and they help you make magic happen, right? They, they do all the research, put all the things together, make the reservations on your behalf. So that's a pretty good deal, right? But a tour, uh, But a travel agent doesn't need to actually like have gone anywhere. They just have to sit behind a computer and make the reservations happen. But a tour guide, now a tour guide, tour guides go on the adventure. They show you what they have learned on their adventures of the past. They make magic happen, but in a totally encapsulating way because they go with you. And we are called to be disciple, making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. I continue to learn how, how easy it is to think that I am off doing this by myself. But in reality, I am called to stand on the shoulders of giants who have come before us. The, the individuals who have poured life into me and discipled me, who have discipled you, who have poured into you and who poured into them and poured into them and poured into them all the way back to Paul and before him, Jesus. We are standing on the shoulders of giants and we simply pass on what we have learned to others. But we cannot pass on what we have not lived in ourselves. So we are called to be tour guides, to go on the adventure, to learn from other tour guides so that we could bring on new tour guides and help them go on adventures as well with Jesus. So we grow as deep disciples as we are simultaneously made into deep disciples and as we make deep disciples. Now, if you're there thinking, man, this sounds painstaking, difficult, time-consuming, not super efficient, well, hate to break it to you, but one of the keys, one of the keys to the kingdom of God is not efficiency, unlike Magic Kingdom, right? Like, it is not efficient to make disciples, but our goal has never been efficiency. See, we don't want to make disciples, more disciples faster. Our call is to make deeper disciples longer. That's our call. And it's messy, it's hard, and it's beautiful. So as we continue to encourage you, this is why joining into our discipleship spaces is so important. Coming into our Thursday Bible studies is such an important space to learn biblical story, Christian belief, Christian practice, that in that space we would learn how to grow in them and to pass them on to others. So this Thursday night, you're all invited to our next Bible study. Just know we'd love to have you there. Now I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on up. And I'm going to end with this final encouragement. Abide in Jesus. 
bear much fruit, jump into the adventure of growing as a deep disciple of Jesus. This is the beauty that we get to take part in. This is a story that we are a part of. How cool is that? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for all of us here tonight, everyone tuning in, everyone listening in. Lord, I pray that we would be transformed by the beauty of the gospel, that we wouldn't leave thinking of what I need to do or how I should be better, but that we'd be so enamored by who Jesus is and what he has done, that we would be so excited to abide in him, to abide in his love for us. Lord, we are called to be your disciples. Lord, help us to be just so excited about that. I pray for passion to overtake the church and not just this one, but your global church across our nation, across our state, across our city, across our world. Lord, that you would be making deep disciples through the beauty and the brokenness of the local church, that your church would not fall or falter, but that we'd remain faithful, engaged, and ready to fill the call that you have made for us. So Lord, help us to engage in Christian practice as individuals in his community. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.